just open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you that we can gather to worship you and to praise you, to, to think about just your wonderful characteristics, that you are holy, that you're majestic, that you're good and glorious. And the fact, God, that we can even come into your presence to, to know you, like that we can call you upon as our Father, that we could receive forgiveness for our sins, is in itself, Lord, just an, an amazing experience, an amazing blessing towards us. Heavenly Father, but just even more of a blessing, we can open your word now. And so we pray that you would, it says in your word that we had a heart of stone and you've given us a heart of flesh, a heart of flesh upon which you can write your words and, and cause that change. And so we pray that as you, as we obediently come before you and, and seek you through what we study today, write upon our hearts, Lord, the words that you desire to cause us to change, Lord, because we want to be more in, in the image of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, Lord, may we bear fruit and may we bring glory to you. And so we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, I have to have to confess, you know, I, I'm a bit of a, a reality TV fan. You know, I particularly like those shows which involve some competition. So renovation shows like The Block or MasterChef where it's about cooking. Because the thing I like about them, I, I'm really amazed at the skill of these contestants to within this, this, a week or within a round to be able to create something using their skills and their experience to really create something amazing. But the thing that particularly I'm impressed with is that they would willingly put themselves into a situation where they will put themselves under pressure. And particularly when the show like Celebrity MasterChef, you know, these contestants are successful in their own right. A lot of them have successful careers in the hospitality industry. They've set their own restaurants up. They've got cookbooks. They've got TV channels, but here they are coming back onto a show to willingly put, be put under pressure so they can chase this title of Celebrity MasterChef. Now, typically, we'll, people will do their best to avoid putting themselves under stress. I know if I had a choice, I would, I would avoid stress at, at all costs. And, you know, whether that be stress at home in terms of managing the household and budgets and family and getting people to different places and getting our kids to different sporting events, or whether that be at work where we have to deal with some difficult people sometimes, difficult customers or um, stakeholders whose expectations are high or projects, or even just things like pre-Christmas shopping and going to Westfield and struggling with crowds and where you're going to park the car. All of these things are, are examples of stress that Naturally, I, I like to avoid that stuff. I don't know about you guys, but stress is not something I, I choose to willingly put myself into. And I think about and I reflect on the year that's just gone. We've, and there's still you know, a few more weeks to go. That with COVID, you know, that's a, a, been a source of stress for a lot of people. And we're still dealing with lots of the repercussions of COVID. You know, we're still spread out. We can't sing until tomorrow. You know, praise the Lord. Um, but, you know, these things can really shake us. These things can really un unsettle us. And, you know, James, as we're going to study today, talks about trials and temptations, that COVID's just an example of a trial. It's something, yes, maybe we didn't expect it to be of such a scale, but we shouldn't expect that, oh, trials, unexpected, and, and be shocked and, and, and not on our guard about it. Um, you know, we... You know, some people even take the step of, of, to reduce stress, you know, have a sea change or have a tree change, you know, leave behind the, the urban life and go somewhere a bit quieter and where things are a bit more relaxed. 
Um, but, you know, as a Christian, you know, if, even though we're in the world and we're not of the world, the fact that we're in the world means that we're going to go through a range of things that every other person has to go with. And praise be to God that as a believer, we've been given guidance on how we should deal with trials or how we should deal with temptation. And we've been given the blessing of the Holy Spirit to be put inside each one of us to help to be obedient to the things that the Word teaches us, that God teaches us through His Word. So we should expect trials as well as temptation. And, you know, today we're going to just look at this mindset because there's this mindset that permeates some of the church today, which is once I become saved, once I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I shouldn't have any discomfort. My life should be characterized by comfort. But that's not true. We, we are going to experience discomfort. We are going to experience hardship. And a lot of that, when you think about the life that Jesus Christ led, that was characterized by hardship. That was characterized by suffering even unto death on the cross. So if that's what our Lord and Savior endured, and that's how he conducted his life, and we're to follow in his footsteps, maybe not to death on the cross, but at least have the, the willingness to put ourselves through things and, and to suffer and face hardship. Because he did it so he could relate, he could sympathize with mankind and understand everything that we went through, then why would we shy away from those things? And we don't need to shy away from them. God's given us everything that we need to for, for life and godliness. All right. So James, I'm going to start in, in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So the Bible says that we're going to fall into various trials. And it's not, a, it's not an if, but it's a when. And in this case, heart, trials are hardships, are afflictions, it's persecution. And this word fall gives us the sense of that we're plunging, we're falling into it, we're out of control, it's overwhelming. You know, we don't face trials and go, well, that's a trial, I can deal with that one. We fall into trials and we're, it's not within our, we're helpless. It's, it's outside of our ability to deal with it. Um, often we only come to God when we think there's a trial or something we can't handle. But as we're going to study today, you know, everything we should be coming to God to seek his wisdom on. But it says that we're to consider trials all joy. And, you know, joy is different to happiness. You know, it's not saying, well, I'm going to have a, a really bad experience and then let's be really happy I had this really bad experience. But there's an ability to have joy, which is where, when we think about happiness, it's an emotion. It's something that we get when we react to positive circumstances. And because happiness can be so driven by circumstance and we go through positive and negative circumstances, our happiness can fluctuate with that. We can be quite emotional and we shouldn't be driven by emotion, right? The Bible teaches us that we should be driven by fact, and we put our faith in fact. And so joy is having that deeper contentment, knowing that God is in control, and therefore our joy doesn't falter just because of a change of circumstance. We know who our, our faith is upon. We know that God doesn't change. We know he's trustworthy and he's faithful. So we can experience that joy. We can consider it all joy, irrespective of what trials we face. But too often we view our trials not as all joy. We view them as all sadness or all frustration or all disappointment because the way we think about our trials is not thinking about, well, what's the purpose of this trial? 
We can question God sometimes, can't we, when we go through trials because things can seem overwhelming. We can, we can question and say, well, you know, God, why am I going through this? Um, yeah, don't you love me? Or if you do love me, why would you let me suffer these things or deal with these things? And we can get into that space where the children of Israel found themselves, where as they were going through the wilderness, God demonstrated his faithfulness and he allowed them to be tested to see where their faith was at. And unfortunately, they failed the test. They, they grumbled, they complained, and God said, well, this generation won't see the promised land. And we easily can, too, can, can become like that, and we can become complainers. And you know, when we complain, it's becoming unfaithful towards God because we're questioning his sovereignty. We're questioning his goodness. And we put our trust elsewhere because we start to look elsewhere for security. But, you know, there's a purpose, a reason for trials in our lives, which is why we can count it all joy. And let's just look at this word testing. Um, you know, the, this word here, and, you know, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, it talks about the, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour, glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so... Does that mean that when God tests us, he doesn't understand the genuineness of our faith? No, absolutely not. God knows us intimately. He, he knows us, even knows the number of hairs in our head. But we get tested because it helps us understand, well, where's our faith at? Where am I lacking? Where am I not trusting you, Lord? You know, when I was back at school, you know, we would do tests. You know, we would learn about a subject through the year and then through different times of the year, we would do tests and exams. And some of you, I know some of you guys love exams, some of you don't like them. Um, I'm kind of a bit 50-50. Um, but you know, you get, you do the exam and then you compare your results. And you know, if you were competitive, you wanted to see who, who else you beat. Um, but the, the, the primary objective, I don't know, for those who are teachers, you might challenge me on this, but I don't think the primary objective of doing a test is necessarily to see who you beat and because you want to be the top. I, I think the real value in the test is that the teachers actually look at what you've really understood and what you haven't understood, and, and the teachers can actually focus on the things where you need to learn and you need to grow. And that's what testing our faith is about. We, when we are tested through trials, we can understand, well, okay, that area of my life, God, I'm not really trusting you on. I failed. I, I stumbled. And so we should be looking towards trials as a positive thing because who wants to go through life stumbling and not growing and not growing closer and, and more molded into the image of God? I don't. I want to I be more, more of him in my life. In the same way, our, our faith is tested through trials, but faith isn't produced through trials Trials merely reveal what faith we, we do have. And so, as I said, it makes it evident to ourselves what level of faith we had. But why, but why do we need to test faith? And you know, Hebrews 11 verse 6 helps us understand this. It says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so faith is essential for pleasing God. We can't go through a Christian life and say, well, you know what, I've got all these other things that I'm doing for the Lord, but faith, you know, it's optional. I don't need faith. Now, everything we do for God has to be based on faith. We're called to a life of faith, of walking by the things that he tells us to do. 
Whereas it's very easy to want to get comfortable and walk according to things that we see or things that we've become accustomed or, or experienced with. Um, but faith is essential to pleasing God. And as our faith is tested and subsequently grows, you know, we are going to trust him in more areas of our life and in situations that we may not have trusted him in before. And I, I absolutely see that in my life. Every day, every year, I'm, I'm thinking about and aware of areas of my life that God goes, you know what? This thing, you're really trusting in yourself. You know, when I'm at work, you know, God goes, "Well, you're really trusting in your ability and, and to to, to you know, get all these things done." But you know, don't forget, I've given you the ability to do that. You know, this is not you, yes, I put that capability in you, but that ultimately comes from me. So trust, put your trust back on me. Okay. But as we diligently seek him more and more, as I diligently seek him more and more, not just on the odd occasion where I think I need help, then my turning to him and my trust in him should become more the norm as opposed to the exception. And I don't know about you guys whether hopefully in every situation and trials you face, you are turning to, to the Lord, not just the, under those things that you think you can't handle. So how do I develop faith? Romans chapter 10, verse 17 so it says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so we develop our faith through listening to God, and that's through reading and understanding his word. And that reveals the character of God. Even the Old Testament, you know, I, I'm studying through, we've just been studying um, Esther and, and then studying uh, the book of Judges with, with the, the young guys at the moment. And... The character of God and his precious promises and his faithfulness comes out so clearly there. And the more that we read the word and we understand God, how God is playing his part in that, the more we begin to trust him. Because, see, when I spend time with my wife, Alison, that I learn a little bit more about her and I listen to her, I understand what she's able to do, then I'm more willing to trust her when she says, well, you know what, I'm thinking about cooking this new recipe what do you think? And because I know how careful she is and she thinks about the ingredients and if it's the right thing, I'm gonna, I will trust that. But, I, but the point is I get to know her, her more. And so if I'm react, relating to my wife in that way of wanting to understand and listen to her more so my relationship and my trust in her increases, how much more should that be with our, our Heavenly Father that we should be listening and, and learning about him? So talks here about patience and, you know, the, the patience that uh, when it says faith produces patience, it's not a passive waiting, but it's an active endurance. It's a perseverance to press on and almost like the focus of a marathon runner. And so the patience, the need for patience is, is explained in verse 4 of, of, of chapter 1. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's difficult to be patient through a trial. The fact that I don't like stress, I don't like trials, means that I, the quicker I get out of it, the better. But there's something about when God puts us in trials that's under his control that he knows about. Like, don't ever forget that, you know, when we look at where Christians have been or in the Bible, those who are following the Lord have been put in a trial. The God's with them 
It's not like God hasn't known about it or God didn't know it was going to happen. And we need to be patient through the trial because there's a couple of things that God wants to do. He wants to perfect and complete us. He wants to perfect us, which means he wants to bring us to a level of maturity. Okay? You, know, you don't suddenly just give birth to a baby and suddenly they're a full-grown adult the next day, like Ezekiel. He's going to like be you know, young Ezekiel, a couple of 18 years before he becomes a, a young man. And these things take time. And the same with our faith and where God wants to mature us. It takes time. But he also wants to bring it to a point where it's complete. There's a, there's a logical end point where God goes, you know what, I've done what I've needed to do and, and you've reached that point of maturity. Now start walking in that level of faith that you've reached. Yeah, if you think about a cake, and I want to bake, you know, some of you guys are great bakers. Um, I'm looking forward, you know, seriously, I'm looking forward to when we get back post-COVID and we can bring some morning tea cakes in. But you wouldn't take the, that tin of batter and you put it in the oven and you bake it and you do it for a certain temperature for a, a minimum period of time um, and, and take it early. There, there's an expectation that there's a completion of the bake. The recipe says keep it in there for so long because at that point the batter suddenly becomes something gooey to something perfect. It's matured into a cake. And the cake is complete. It's ready for eating. Okay. There's nothing more that needs to be done. Okay. It's matured and it's ready, to, ready for consumption. But, you know, imagine if the cake was allowed out of the oven way ahead of the appointed time. No patience being demonstrated. It would be a vastly different outcome. James, uh, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And we may lack wisdom to make the right decisions in the midst of a trial, but we can call out to God and ask for his wisdom and guidance to make the right decisions. It's amazing. God, you know, you know what? God actually has wisdom to help us make right decisions. Um, and we can do this knowing that he is in control and faithful. But you know what, too often when we're in a trial, we seek counsel of our friends. We ask them for their advice. And we go, well, what do you think? Without firstly seeking God. And we can form an opinion, and often we can form an opinion of what we think we want to do. And we go around and we ask, oh, what do you think? This is what I want to do. Hopeful that the people that we talk to say the same thing and share the same opinion as us to go, okay, good, that's, that's what I'm going to do. But, you know, imagine if you had a problem with your car that had been properly serviced by a mechanic. You know, everyone takes their, their, their car to this mechanic. And you've got a problem with your car, but rather than going to the mechanic, you go to your friends and say, well, you know what, we all, we all use the same mechanic, but what do you guys think? I've got this problem. And none of your friends are mechanically minded. They all give you different points of view. And you actually don't know who's giving you the right advice. Is it, you know? And... It doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense that you've got someone perfectly capable and knowledgeable that know, it intimately knows your vehicle but everyone else's vehicle, and you don't seek their input and say, okay, well, I'll leave it up to you. You know what's going on. And so why does it make sense for us then when we go through trials that we, our first point that we talk to is each other? Not, not, to, see, not to encourage each other and share our struggles, but surely we should be coming first to God and saying, God, I've got this thing I'm dealing with. I really don't know what the answer is. I need your wisdom. And so God wants us to trust in him 
because you know he gives wisdom liberally. That means without limit. Um, it's generous. He's so generous without finding fault. He doesn't go, well, why are you coming to, to me again with this problem? You saw me last week with this. He doesn't do that. He, he wants to give us wisdom. Why? Because he doesn't want us to stumble. He doesn't want us to falter. He, and you know what? He does give us wisdom if we diligently seek him. Verse 6, but, that, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And so a person who asks God for wisdom in a trial without truly believing that God will answer them, they're susceptible to different opinions, to different points of view. They are going to be confused about what they should or shouldn't do, which is exactly like a wave that's being tossed by the wind. You know, I remember going down to, there was a point at the bottom of Western Australia where you can watch Albany, somewhere like that, where you can watch the Southern Ocean, hit the Indian Ocean, they all converge together and there's this wind and different tidal things. And these waves, you go, one minute looks like the water's going this way, another minute looks like the water's going that way. And so if we're doubtful when we come before God about whether he's going to answer our, our question about wisdom, we're going to be exactly like that. We're going to look like we're, con we're going to be confused. And it's not just in, in verse 7 and verse 8. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. And so it's not just in trials that we would see the double-minded man having struggles, but really in any aspect of life that that person will exhibit constant confusion, just like the tossed wave, because they ne never really listen to the Lord. Verse 9, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as flower of the field he will pass away, as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. And so this is a little bit of an encouragement, right, to those who may feel that they're lowly, that we can often look at those that we think are in a better position than us and say, you know what, if only I had that, then this trial wouldn't be as tough for me. All right. So here we have this lowly brother going, look, I don't have the wealth of the possessions of the rich man. If I had that, these trials would be easier to get through. And James is going, no, 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 that's not the case. Because when James is talking about that we all experience various trials, we're going to... A thing that's a troll to you might not necessarily be a troll to someone else. And so a rich man, when he endures a trial, probably a lot of that will be the trial for him is going to be what's going to happen with your riches. If you put your security in riches, these things will fade. These things will disappear. In the same way, a beautiful but fragile flower will be consumed by the heat of the sun, so the position of a rich man under a trial. And so those possessions provide no additional security. And, you know, we can think, we can be deceived that if I only had this other thing, it's going to help me through this trial. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the thing you need is the wisdom of God. It's to ask God and seek, and seek Him. And yes, that does guide us into other practical things, but it doesn't start with those things. It starts with seeking God's wisdom first and foremost. So verse 12, we, we take a little bit of a different tangent because you know, we were talking about trials, which are afflictions and hardships. Now we're going to talk about 
um, talk about temptation. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed, you know, it's more than being happy. Um, sometimes in our Bibles it's translates as happy, but it, it, it's actually being in a state where I can receive God's favor. And, you know, for many years, I, I kind of avoided wanting to be blessed. It's crazy, right? Because I, I kind of connected being blessed with prosperity doctrine. Oh, if it's all focused about blessing, God is my focus on the wrong thing. But, but God wants us in that point where we can be blessed. And we're going to talk about that in a moment because he's a good, he's a good father. And so... I've come to a realization that Lord, the Lord goes, you know, don't shy away from wanting to be blessed. Um, but in fact, when I think about being, the, being in the position of being blessed, I understand that I actually want to be in that position where I receive God's favor. Because the thing that provides satisfaction for us in life are the things that will last forever. It's the fact of being used by the Lord in different ways, to minister to others, to glorify Him. And so the blessing comes through as God uses me. So as I'm in that state of being able to be used by Him, the blessing comes with that. But I'm not focusing on the blessing. I'm actually focusing on the thing that God desires for me, which is to be available for Him to use. And so because I love Him, I want to obey Him and I want to be used by Him. And hopefully you guys want to be used by Him and you want to be in that state where He can use you. So God wants me to endure. He wants us to endure temptation. And, yeah, this can be a desire for anything that, re that replaces my desire for God. You know, some really things that, that always come to mind, money, sex, fame, recognition, career, friends, homes. But really anything, if we give it more focus and more desire than upon the Lord, our desire for the Lord, then we're effectively being tempted and drawn away. And so the question is, well, how do I know whether I'm desiring something more than God? Well, think about what occupies your time. Think about your thoughts or how you use your resources. Do you think about God and what he wants to fact, what he, how he factors into those things and how he wants to use those things? Because if you think about your typical day, and I confess there's large parts of my day I don't think about the Lord at all. And you know what? When I think about it, I probably should be thinking about the Lord in those times. I should be thanking Him. I should be praising Him. I should be having my life consciously centered on Him, intentionally thinking about Him. But I have to confess there's times in my week, absolutely, where the, my career takes focus, my job takes focus. But God didn't put me here to be an ambassador for the bank or an ambassador for this type of... Well, he put me here to, here to be an ambassador for Him, and therefore He wants to be using me and wants me to be thinking about him. So I'm connected to what, how he's guiding me. So he puts his Holy Spirit in us and that guides us. So I don't need, I don't need to come and, and say to you, oh, look at this area of your life. You know, the Holy Spirit is, is putting each one of us as a Christian to highlight those areas where we, we're coming short. You know, um, There may be things which are, which are clear that we can refer to Scripture on, but you know, as we seek the Lord and as we diligently say, well, Lord, what is it in my life that is overriding my desire for you? Believe me, he'll show you. 
And the issue is not whether he's going to show you something or if he's going to show you something. It's, it's, it's more, am I willing to change? Am I willing to be obedient, to, to rebalance those things where he becomes preeminent? Um, and so as he highlights those things, seek him for strength to be obedient in those areas. It talks here about for when he has been approved in verse 12. And the context for this word approved is that in those days, and we still see, yeah, actually we see it today, um, probably less so, where coins would be in circulation, and because they were made of precious metals, silver, people would shave little corners off the edge and you know, store it because the value of the coin was in the, in, in the weight as well as what was marked on the top. And, but there came a point where the coin, there was so much shaved off the coin that it wasn't actually valid as currency anymore. It was, it was illegally underweight. And so in order to know whether these coins were legitimate, they had to be approved. There were certain people who could look at the coin and go, well, if I weigh it and I look at it, yeah, you can use that. You can trade with that thing. And so this coin is proven to be acceptable. And it's the same with us <clears throat> as believers that we also need to be approved. We also need to be considered to be acceptable. And one of the ways that that's evidenced in our lives is resistance to temptation. Okay. Now... If we choose not to resist temptation and our life is characterized by chasing and desiring other things above God, then we really need to be careful of where we're standing, in our, where we stand with God. And I'm not saying that we're saved by works, not, not by any means, but a lot of scripture tells us that the evidence that there's a transformed life, that the Holy Spirit's in us, dwelling in us, that we're saved, he said there's going to be fruit, there's going to be evidence. And a desire to, 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 to pursue God and to resist temptation is one of those things that we should be, we should be seeing. Okay? We should start seeing a greater desire for Jesus Christ and a lesser desire for the things of the world. Okay. The crown of righteousness I won't talk too much about, but you know, if you guys want to look at 2 Timothy 4, chapter 8, it talks about being awarded this crown, which is the victor's crown for when they win the race. So upon successfully completing the race, they get this wreath. And in our earthly life and going into our heavenly life, we'll receive the recognition that we've, we've successfully finished the race. And, um, you know, I look forward to that, to that day when we all can stand um, and, and receive that crown, crown together. Verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And so we can't blame God for temptation. We can't blame God for when we sin, okay? You know, God's holiness means that he can't be tempted to sin because that will go against his nature. And, you know, praise God that he can't be tempted by sin. Because imagine serving a God that could be tempted by sin. And one day he's good, another day he chooses not to be good. One day he's gracious, next day he chooses not to be gracious. I'm so thankful that he, he's, he doesn't change. And I'm not going to rest on, on that and say, well, I can, I can go and sin. No, the Bible says don't, don't do that. Um, but I praise God that, that his holiness means he can't be tempted by sin. And secondly, his loving nature means that he's not going to tempt any of us into sin. That goes counter to his, cult, counter to his nature, that he loves us. And he wants us to be 
walking acts of righteousness, not unrighteousness. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. It's our own desires that allow temptation to become sin. You know, isn't it funny that the things that entice us, the things we like, are the things that cause us to stumble? And, you know, the devil knows that. He put, he'll put things in our way to, to cause us to desire this other thing, whatever it is, more than desiring God. But, you know, a picture for a moment of a beautiful tree. You know, at the moment in, in our garden, we have so many beautiful trees, which are, and probably in your gardens as well, which are springing up and blossoming because of the spring weather. And imagine that our tree, it, it's well nourished, it's receiving good sunlight, and something happens to one of the branches on that tree. It snaps, it breaks, it gets an infection. You wouldn't see the immediate effect upon that branch right away. In fact, over time, you would see the leaves in that branch start to wither and die. But if you stood back, the overall tree looks fairly intact and fairly healthy. But, you know, ultimately that tree will no longer grow, it will no longer blossom, okay? Even though the overall tree is still alive. However, gradually, potentially, the death of that branch may hinder the overall health of that tree. So that the whole tree is hindered. The whole tree can't bear fruit. And... When the Bible talks here about when it is full grown brings forth death, we can think, well, it's, it's okay. I'm a Christian. I've got eternal life. I'm not going to have to face eternal damnation and death. But you know what? When we allow sin into our life, there's a symptom of death that appears in our life. There becomes a level of unfruitfulness where it may, you may think or we may think it only affects a portion of our life. But if we don't deal with it, if we don't allow the Lord to deal with it and we confess it and, and, and repent, that aspect, of that sin and that unfruitfulness can affect our whole overall life. You know, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23 talk about the fruits of the Spirit. And the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such thing there is no law. You know, and I know when I'm carrying sin in my life because I don't see those things as ha happening as naturally as possible. There's something in my life where I go, that's just, just eating me up. In the same way that this branch that's corrupted, that's causing pr problems, that's not bearing fruit, is connected to the rest, I experience in that life. I experience those symptoms of death. And we need to be really careful that we don't just think that because I've eternal life that I can let sin remain in my life and I can let myself be tempted and that there's no effect because there is an effect. There's an effect on your own life in terms of your own fruitfulness and your own peace of, of mind in your relationship with the Lord. But there are impacts on, on the broader body. Because if, you don't, if you're not close to the Lord and walking and listening, and so you're not going to be as loving or as caring or looking out for others, whether they be believers or, or non-believers, then that is a broader impact, okay? And we need to be careful. We need to be careful when we think about temptation, we think about, we talk about death, okay? That we, just, we don't want that to be in our life. 
Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift. Us. Yeah, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And so part of the, the, the reason why we can be easily tempted and desire other things is because we actually don't know where, we actually don't really understand how good God is. That God gives us good and perfect gifts. That Everything's good because it's in keeping with his character. We know his character. He's, he's good, he's faithful, he's kind, he's long-suffering. But everything's perfect. It's exactly what we need when we need it. And so there's a deception that this thing, this, in this moment, if I just do this thing, it will fulfill me. This time I'm going to spend you know, reading a book, watching TV, not spending this time with the Lord. That's gonna, I've just got to get through that, yeah, and then, Lord, I'll spend that time with you. That's a deception because we think it's going to satisfy us, but the real satisfaction is actually spending that time with the Lord Jesus Christ and reading his word and growing more in love with him. And so that is good and perfect. Um, but I even think about where there's things that in my life I could have chased. I said, you know what, God, I, I, I sense that you're telling me don't chase that thing to wait. That, that's not something that you want for me. And a great example for me, right, was before I met Alison, and there was this, this, this girlfriend I had, and it was kind of pretty short. She was, anyway. Um, I wasn't ready, you know, because I wasn't ready for a relationship, but I thought I was. I thought I was mature and I could deal with this girl. And then we broke up, and I was like, oh, you know, God, what's going on? Okay. And then God took me and just said, I want you to focus on me. I want. And it's kind of funny because some of you know, may know this story or not. I, I was so sold out for the Lord. I said, you know, Lord, I'm not going to get married till I'm 40. And I was only about in my early 20s at the point. I just said, Lord, I don't know why I was thinking the, my, my 40s. Maybe I thought by then my, my fruitful life had been, would be finished. But I said, you know, Lord, I, I'm not, I don't want to get married till I'm in my 40s. And um, God had other plans because, you know, within a, within a year, I'm not saying this is going to happen to you young guys, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm just saying this is my, what happened with me. That God um, brought Alison into church and then we connected and then obviously we, we, we got married. And that's God's good and perfect, that was his good and perfect plan. It was his good and perfect blessing for me. But that's not what I wanted. I was thinking, I either, this girl, or I just want to be focused on you, Lord, for the next 20 years. And you know what? It didn't mean that just because I got married to Alison, I, wasn't, I couldn't be focused on the Lord for the next 20 years. In fact, being married to Alison has forced me to become more focused, not, in, not because of you, <laughs> but because of me, because I've realized what a responsibility that is. And I've realized the more that I, I get to read the Word, I get to see, wow, what a, what, how much did God love us and how much is He doing to... to be able to present us, his church, as holy and blameless. And so that's the thing I take on and go, for Alison, I've got, Lord, if that's what you've given to me, I'm primarily doing this for you, but obviously, obviously I love her. Obviously there's romance, but, you know, but that's God, that was God's good and perfect plan for me. So it talks about there's no variation or shadow. So there's nothing that God does for us or wants to do for us that's ever intended for bad. And sometimes we need to hear something because we're gone off track, okay? 
Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we may be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so everything that God's created, the first fruits, the thing that's so going to be representative of him, the first fruits, the thing that we're going to bring forward and sacrifice as the start of the new harvest, that's us. That's us. So the thing that people should see in us as his first fruits should be everything that reflects the goodness and character of the Lord so they can come to know what he's like. And that is our calling. Okay. So I'm just going to conclude there. A couple of thoughts. Um, you know, where do we count a little joy when we go through trials? Like, where is our head at? Do we, do we consider it all joy and we recognize that there's a purpose, there's a reason for it, which is for good? It may not feel like it at the time, but... Or, how, or do you grumble? Do you complain? And you want to get out of that thing as quickly as possible. And in the midst of the trial, where do you put your trust? Who do you seek first? Do you seek the security of others and the advice of others? Or do you seek the wisdom of the Lord? And say, well, Lord, what do you want me to do? I really don't know. Um, and as your faith is tested and as God reveals where we're lacking, where we aren't quite complete we aren't quite mature and he says well this is where i want you to grow in are you being obedient to that and responding to that it could be anything you know and god might even be showing you things today where he goes you know uh, you know the good thing about god is that he's so gracious to us you know when i think about my life and, and the amount of things that he could potentially want to change it's significant there's so many things i could list them out and you know what god goes well there are things that he then really impresses on my heart to say that is the thing I want you to, to, to be to grow in. Okay, and it's the same with you. He, there's going to be incremental things in your guy's life that he's going to say, well, you know, you're not really hanging out with me during the week. Spend a little bit of time, a few minutes a day, get in the Word and talk to me because I want to talk to you. I love you. I want to, I want to talk to you and reveal more of myself to you. It might be where we don't pray. Prayer is hard. Sometimes prayer is hard. Um, sometimes in times of desperation, prayer feels really easy. Um, but just that time of being able to sit and meditate and to listen and to talk to him. Like, it would feel really weird if I never spoke to Alison during the week. It would feel really, really weird. I don't talk to Josiah a lot or JD a lot during the week, I could confess, but that doesn't feel as weird as not talking to Alison. And so God wants us to talk to him, all right? So how do I get to know God more intimately? Let's just turn to Psalm, we're going to finish with this passage, Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16. Okay. So Psalm 119, verse 9. I'll start reading. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And to getting our desire right by knowing the Lord, spending time with him, reading his word. It seems very simple, but we, we struggle sometimes, don't we? We let the busyness of life get in the way. We let trials and the worries and concerns of things take that place. 
But where to read, where to re rejoice in his word, where to, to, to meditate on it, which means to read it and ponder and consider. Okay, okay, Lord, I don't understand. What does this mean for me? You know? And the only way we can meditate on something is just if we take it in in the first place. The only way that we can contemplate it is to take time of quiet. We're not so busy to carve that time out to, to be with him. And then look at what it says at the end. I will delight myself in your statutes. You know, So everything about God is worth delighting in. And his word is so worth delighting in. And so as we take that in and as we hide his word in our heart, those trials and those temptations become easy to resist because God brings, the Holy Spirit brings those things back to remember us and he reminds us of who he is. And he reminds us of how good what he's got for us versus what, what we think we're going to accomplish or what we're going to get through that, that perceived sense of immediate satisfaction. All right? So I'll leave that there today because we're about to, we'll finish with a worship song and then go into communion. But that's my challenge to you guys today. What are those incremental things where God wants to develop your faith and your trust? Just be obedient to those things. Please be in the word because he loves you. And um, yeah, the next time the next COVID or the next trial hits, we're on our guard. We know what to expect. We're not going to be phased or, or shaken because um, we know where we've, who, who we can turn to. We can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and just his faithfulness and, and strength. All right, so Travis, if you guys come up, let's just close in a, a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that there's nothing that we need to be shaken about trials or temptations, God, that you've provided everything we need to understand what's going to face us and how to, to get through it. But Lord, so often, not so often, all the time, the shortcoming is on our side and we acknowledge our, our, our lack of faith in times, God, that, or our lack of desire for you. And so we pray that you would realign our lives where we are desiring you, where we're seeking you for strength, where we're listening to you, where we're being obedient. And that, Lord, you would just have your way in us because we want to be those first fruits. We want to be exhibiting those the fruit of the spirit not the smell and the sign of death but the fruit of the spirit because that testifies to you and your character and what you mean to us and so we thank you that you are molding us towards perfection and to being complete into the image of jesus christ we know that is a journey that we're on lord but we thank you that you are with us through all these things and more so that you know what we need and so we thank you and we, we, we pray these things. I pray for all the people gathered here and, and, and on the live stream. Give us the strength, Lord, to respond in obedience to you. And we just want to thank you um, in Jesus' name. Amen.